From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom in Washington, this is the Big Story Podcast, your nonpartisan news source for how Congress and the federal government shape the real world. It's not every day in American politics when you wake up to the headline that says, President endorses accused child molester for the Senate. But that's the state of the hottest political story in the country right now, the special election in just a few days on Tuesday, December 12th, to fill the Alabama Senate seat. I'm David Hawking, senior editor of CQ and Roll Call, and with me in studio to talk about the latest developments in the race is Nathan Gonzalez, election analyst for Roll Call and the editor of Inside Elections. Good morning, Nathan. Good morning. So, Nathan, one of the reasons we're sitting here is that you had a really interesting story in Roll Call that piqued everybody's uh, interest in our newsroom, and I'm sure around town, uh, about um, a mysterious political action committee that has sprung up in the last days. Can you sort of summarize that for us and tell us what you think it means? Sure. uh, First of all, I'm I'm on too many fundraising email lists. I actually unsubscribed from a bunch last cycle because I think it was driving me insane. Uh, But I'm still on a few lists. And I was getting emails from something called Club for Conservatives PAC, which is sounded like yet another ambiguous, ambiguously sounding pack, and it was supporting uh, Roy Moore, or they were saying they were supporting Roy Moore in the Alabama Senate race. Uh, but some of the language of it felt like I had seen or heard some of the tone before in, in other emails. And then I, I kind of piqued my interest at the end of the email. The email was signed by a young woman named Brooke Pendley, and there was a picture of Brooke at the end. And so based on all this rhetoric that was fairly alarmist and talking about attacking liberals and John McCain and, and the whole thing. I said, well, let's find out who Brooke Penley is and let's try to find Brooke Penley. And Brooke Penley is a treasurer of Club for Conservatives PAC, according to the group's statement of organization with the Federal Election Commission. But then when I started to try and find her, I, I've yet to been able, I have not been able to locate her. Um, the office that is listed on the FEC statement of organization is to a, a co-working space in Lexington, Kentucky. When I called there, she was, uh, they had no association with the group, and, and the group is not a client. When I used the email address on file, it was not returned. I eventually found uh, an operative, a conservative operative, um, who has the same last name. His name is Nate Penley. He's in North Carolina. And I thought maybe Brooke Penley uh, would be related to Nate Penley. I reached out to him. Uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't respond. And so I think what's different about this is we know that there are some groups who hide their donors. Uh, we, but we often know who's running the pack or, or running the organization. And in this case, I, we, either, we either don't know who's running it or we have not heard from the person running it. But you suspect that Brooke Pendley, uh, who, who I think who your story makes clear is like that's not a name that's in the political universe anywhere. And you know the political universe of people as well as anybody. So your suspicion is that in the fullness of time, we will learn that she is helping out people we don't yet know who they are. Uh, well, in, in beyond the political world, I'd, it's hard to find her just in the online world. There are people who have a similar name, or but it, she is just difficult to find, which I found odd and strange. And, and then what is the PAC doing is, an, is another question. I think that it's uh, – they say they're supporting Roy, uh, Roy Moore, but how much of that is going to actually be in support of him? They can't coordinate with each other because it's, a, it's an outside group. 
Uh, but I'm, I guess I'm, I'm skeptical in a lot of different ways, and uh, I would encourage everyone to read the full story because it tries to lay it out. Do, do you have any idea how much uh, money she's raised or this group has raised? No, uh, they just filed in October, which means they haven't had to file a, a report yet. And so we won't, we may not know until the end of the year, uh, and well, January, when they have to file end-of-the-year reports how much they've actually brought in and what they've been spending money on. Meanwhile, money is, of course, um, at the heart of, of, um, of any election and, and where the money is coming from and who is who's collecting this money uh, has revealed, uh, maybe this is too strong a term, but something of a, of a schism or a, a new kind of a civil war within the Republican uh, establishment in the closing days. Um, can you lay out for us like which Republican factions are still with Roy Moore and which Republican factions have abandoned him or given him a wide berth. <laughs> well, I, I think it's a it's a dynamic situation right now. In recent recent days, the president of the United States has endorsed, formally endorsed Roy Moore, and I think along with that has come the reversal of the Republican National Committee. They originally initially backed away from Roy Moore, um, but now because the RNC is basically a function of the president, uh, they have said that they're open to supporting. I don't think we know yet what that means in, in terms of ads. Usually the RNC or the DNC are not spending money on ads in a Senate race or a House race. That's a function of the NRSC, which the NRSC reiterated its position that it will not support Roy Moore. And uh, it's even gone as far to say that they will expel him if he's if he's elected. Now, NRSC, National Republican Senatorial Cam- Committee, which is a committee that just exists to back Senate candidates, and its uh, chairman is one of those senators, uh, Cory Gardner of Colorado, who views himself as politically vulnerable next time he's up for re-election and is one of, was one of the first to say Roy Moore, if he ever shows up in the Senate, should be expelled. Right. And Cory Gardner isn't up for election this time. He's focused on being chairman. Uh, but uh, there are some, there's limited polling data that showed that his favorable rating or his job approval rating in Colorado has come down. Speculation that, that it's as a result of him taking a partisan, a very partisan position where being a Republican, electing Republicans is his primary job right now. So I think, but he's chairman of the NRSC, but he's making a calculation like everyone else about what to do with Roy Moore and these allegations and and trying to balance whether, what's more important, that or a seat in the United States Senate. And there's also um, a little bit of a split in the Romney family. Uh, Mitt Romney, the presidential standard bearer from, uh, from 2012, vocally opposed to Roy Moore, says he's unqualified to sit in the Senate. His niece is actually the titular chairman of the Republican National Committee, and so she's now doing the president's bidding um, and and helping more out. Are all those Republicans now sort of getting back into this in the closing hours? How does their money stand up to the money on the Democratic side for Doug Jones? Well, Doug Jones has been raising, outraising uh, Roy Moore by at least 10 to 1 or outspending him. Uh, the money is coming in. And that actually has alleviated some pressure on Democratic outside groups to support Doug Jones because they were wrestling with, well, of course, they'd like a Democrat in the Senate, another one. But if national groups got in, then that could nationalize the race and, and cause Republican, uh, the grassroots to respond and, and be more enthusiastic. But because Doug Jones is raising as much money as he'll need, Democratic groups can stay on the sidelines. Now, on the Republican side, that's where the struggle has been. The Roy Moore has been almost on an island by himself until the last few hours with the RNC saying that they're open to supporting him. So we'll see what it ends up being. I I would expect Doug Jones to still have 
an advantage on television advertising and getting his message out, but he also has a lot further to go based on the partisanship of the state. So the, the election is on Tuesday the 12th. Um, I, I'm going to just guess that a Tuesday, a couple of weeks before Christmas, uh, in, a, in the most Christian state in the country, uh, is not going to produce record turnout, despite the fact that the whole country is paying attention to it. Most of the public and private data point to a narrow Roy Moore advantage right now. Uh, but my concern about the polling is everyone is making the best judgment about turnout. And I think there's an assumption that some Republicans who have not supported Roy Moore in the primary, the runoff, are just not going to vote. My concern with that is that we're talking about a large number of older white Republican voters to whom relig- uh, voting is like a religion, maybe second to going to church, voting is next. And so assuming they're not going to turn out is – I think, dangerous ground. I think there's also an assumption that Democratic turnout is going to be high based on what we saw in Virginia and New Jersey. There's an assumption, well, Democrats are going to come out. It's like, well, those were regularly scheduled elections for governor and state legislature. This is a, a one-off election in Alabama two weeks before Christmas. So I, I'm not a, I don't think we can assume safely that Democratic turnout is going to be high. So that's why we have it as a toss-up. I think we'll keep it as a toss-up here for the, la- for the last days because turnout is such a huge – it's a cliche, right? Oh, it all comes down to turnout, but it's actually true. Has the has the added benefit of being true. R- remind me because I really don't know. This is – I know we're filling uh, ultimately the Jeff Sessions seat that he left to become attorney general. This election uh, put somebody in the Senate for – for, for two years. For two years. For two years. Well, two. For three years. <laughs> for three years until the 28, uh, 2020 elections when the seat would normally have uh, normally had come up. And, and people are asking me this all the time. So um, if Roy Moore were to win, uh, there would be probably nothing that the Senate could do to stop him from being seated in the Senate. But what several Republicans, including the number two Republican in the Senate, John Cornyn, said just a few hours before we spoke is that a, a, the ethics committee would be investigating the allegations uh, that Roy Moore acted inappropriately, sexually inappropriately with several teenage girls. That would take some months. Uh, in the meantime, Roy Moore would be a senator. Presumably he would be a polarizing figure in the remaining months before the 2018 election. So what is your understanding of what the Republicans who are now belatedly sort of getting on the Roy Moore bandwagon are thinking? That it's best any Republican is better than any Democrat or that abandoning Roy Moore is going to tick off the Trump base or a combination of those two things? I think it's a sheer partisan – the importance of the majority is is taking the prominent issue position with these Republicans who are otherwise offended by what Roy Moore did, that they are saying <laughs> he did what he did but – Having not putting Chuck Schumer as majority leader or having control, having keeping Republican control is is paramount to to anything else, which is a little bit of an echo of what many Republicans said a year ago after the Access Hollywood tape uh, seemed seemed to the conventional wisdom thinkers like I guess me uh, that it was a fatal blow to the president. But ultimately, many Republicans cast a vote for that reason that and that. Even the most flawed Republican was better than Hillary Clinton being president. Right. And to me, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> if people want to put party that they think the majority is the most important thing, then so be it. I think what gets awkward is when then people try to justify what Roy Moore did or justify what Donald Trump as a candidate or before he got a candidate did and, and try and manipulate, <laughs> try to revise history, then I think it gets awkward. But if people want to prioritize – the majority, then you know, this is, then they vote. That's that's how it works. So, 
any polling to, to suggest um, whether the whether the women's vote uh, will be will be dispositive on this in this race. Whether it's nationally or state by state, usually women constitute over a, major, a majority of voters in any race. So I expect it to be important. I don't know that we have a – there's data to show that women are disproportionately um, coming – turning out or disproportionately breaking for Doug Jones and against Roy Moore. I think there are going to be women on both sides of the – women who, you know – who are so upset by it and angered that they're going to vote against them, but they might have voted against Roy Moore anyway. And women who say, you know, have different reasons for justifying their vote for Roy Moore because he's a Republican and they want to see Republicans maintain control. Uh, last question before we uh, we wrap it up and, and watch to see what actually happens next week, Nathan. Uh, either way, no, whether whether Doug Jones or Roy Moore wins, what's your current thinking about how uh, the sexual harassment story and sexual harassment in public life and in Congress in particular is going to play going into 2018. I think based on the initial cases uh, and individuals that we're seeing, this is going to be a bipartisan uh, scandal. And politically, it'll matter what kind of states or districts these people, these members represent and what they leave behind. Do they resign? Is there going to be a special election? But I, you know, one of the things to, to wrap up, uh, there's often a lot of talk about throw the bums out elections, that voters are so upset that they're going to throw out Republicans and Democrats. The bottom line is we don't have those type of elections in this country. The last time in, I think, 40 plus years where at least 10 members of each party have been thrown out was 1992. What was going on in 1992? There was redistricting, but the House banking scandal, which involved members from both sides of the aisle. And so I kind of have that in the, now in the front of my head thinking, is it going to be something more similar to a 92 where because members are wrapped up from Republicans and Democrats are, are messed up in this? That'll have to do it between now and the voting. Uh, Nathan, thanks for being with us. Thank you. We'll, we can go back to our cubicles now. We absolutely can. That was uh, Nathan Gonzalez, election analyst for Roll Call and the editor of Inside Elections. I'm David Hawkins, senior editor at CQ and Roll Call. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And for more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at Roll Call.